0: Uh, Today we're going to go over a small passage in Revelation chapter 1. But before we go over this passage, I want you to think for a second with me. Uh, Imagine that you wake up one morning and you start reading on the news that the president of the United States, Joe Biden, or whoever it is, uh, whoever is in power during that time, uh, decides to proclaim himself as, as a deity. Uh, he commands all people to worship him, and whoever does not do so will be punished with prison or death. Uh, and in the news, you also start seeing, uh, you also start to see that this this is what makes um, the news start to say that this makes sense. Uh, the so they start to push this idea that we all should worship. Uh, not only is it a mandate from the president, but it starts to become a, a, a societal, a society, uh, you know, so, somewhat of a pressure. Uh, you know, many around you start to follow this order uh, also because they are fearful for their lives. Um, but also because that is what just everyone else is doing. Uh, You know, powerful influencers on YouTube and TikTok and whatever, they start saying that this is what we should do. Uh, The culture embraces it. Uh, So what do you do? Do you follow what the culture says or will you be countercultural? Not only that, but instead of being, something else changes, you know. Instead of being part of a strong and powerful institution, where you enjoy freedom and have privileges, and I'm talking about the church, you become part of an institution that is hated and is not as popular. And instead of having these amazing facilities to gather, you you need to start gathering in cemeteries or in weird times uh, or places far away where people will never visit. You maybe have to start gathering in old, abandoned buildings where no one lives anymore, and people don't even think about going. Uh, These places are not attractive at all, like this beautiful place that we have here. What do you do? You know, this is kind of hard to imagine for us because uh, we live in a privileged society. Thank God we live in the United States of America where we have this freedom of religion this far. But, you know, the churches in Revelation went through an experience that I just talked about. Um, uh, The churches in the past have have gone through this. Actually, they went, and we're going to to read about it in a a little bit, they went through very hard persecution. Uh, Back then, to be a Christian was not a popular opinion. It it was actually quite unpopular. Um, So just a little bit of background. John writes Revelation... these churches about the things that have been and we see that in as as his writing the things that are and the things that will be so uh, the present what is happening or or the the past what is happening and, and and also the future but today we're going to only focus on Revelation chapter 1 verses 4 through 8 and we're going to learn that during an extreme time of tribulation or persecution John reminds the church of three things. Number one, that Jesus rules the kings of nations. Number two, that Jesus has bought a new kingdom and they're part of that kingdom and that Jesus will judge the kingdoms in the future. So let's read verses four and five, uh, Revelation chapter one, verses four and five. And it says this, Uh, it's also up there. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. There are a few things that we learn from verses 4 and 5. And the first thing is that this revelation was, as we just read, to the seven churches in Asia, Uh, that are talked about in chapter 2 and 3. And actually, later on in chapter 1, we also read uh, who were these churches. Uh, And second is that this revelation comes from the true in God. Um, We can clearly see that John references God the Father when he says, Him who is and who was and who is to come. Uh, He also references the Holy Spirit, who are the seven spirits. Um, It says here, uh, the seven spirits who are before the throne, uh, uh, but he also talks about God the Son when he says, "Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of all of kings on earth." Once again, I-, I want to remind you that this revelation comes to John when the church is going through a very, very difficult time—extreme persecution. And as a matter of fact, there is strong evidence uh, to support that this was written during the time of of Nero. Nero was one of Rome's emperor who persecuted the church with a very heavy hand. Um, Some people believed, and and tradition says that he probably burned part of Rome, and then he blamed it on the Christians. Uh, Another uh, tradition says that he will burn, use the Christian bodies to burn his gardens. Uh, as a form of he will use them as torches burn alive women men children uh so he persecuted the church during a heavy with with a very heavy hand and this revelation comes during that time it, it's extremely difficult and john in these first two verses he reminds them he reminds the church of three things about jesus First of all, is that he is the faithful witness to God. And second, that he is the firstborn of the dead. And number three, that, that he is a ruler of kings of earth. And why is this important? Well, he's trying to tell them that, you know, Jesus was faithful, uh, the faithful witness because he always remained faithful to God the Father. And he only spoke what he heard from him and obeyed all his Father commanded. And disobedience and faithful witnessing to him, uh, it actually led him to be betrayed and crucified, and he died a martyr. Uh, But he also resurrected. That's why he's called the firstborn of, of the dead. And from a dead and broken world, from a dead and broken world, Christ is the firstborn of God, redemptive plan to make this world of brokenness and death a world that is new and full of life. So John is trying to remind them this to the church that is going through a very difficult time of persecution. Um, not only that, he, he also says that um, because Christ has resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, which means that he is equal to God, so he has equality with God. So what does this mean to the church when they hear that Jesus Christ is equal with God the Father? What does this mean to them? Because God is equal to God, uh, Christ is equal to God, I'm sorry, that means that he has equal dominion over everything, and that includes the emperor who is persecuting the church, um, who is persecuting those who follow Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings in the earth. Uh, This revelation came, so the church, this is how it all makes sense, okay? This revelation came, so the church will look at Jesus' example of submission to the Father, as Jesus being the faithful witness of God, and they will continue to remain faithful witness during this time of tribulation, knowing that Jesus is much powerful, a much powerful king that we must submit to even to the point of death. You know, today in the church in the West, we experience a lot of freedom, a lot of liberty. And I'm not sure how long this is going to last for. Uh, we know that the church in the past has gone through tribulations and persecutions. We also know that many churches around the world suffered persecution uh, some low levels of persecution, but also high levels of persecution. So why wouldn't we go through the same thing? Uh, as long as we live in a world that is broken, we can expect persecution to rise at some point. And, and I am not trying to be a fatalist, uh, someone who just looks at the future and they see everything wrong. And we're just, you know, some people say we're, we're going down the hill. As a matter of fact, my hope is that the United States and the world will come to know Jesus and will repent and we will see the kingdom of God flourish everywhere. Um, but what if persecution arises to the level of, that these churches were facing? Um, I hope that we remember that Christ is king above all kings. That is what John told the church. And, you know, when he says that he is, let me read that again. He says, and from Jesus Christ, a faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Number two, uh, the second thing that John tells the church or reminds the church is that Jesus Christ has bought a kingdom for himself. So let's read verses five and six. I'm sorry, six and seven, or the end of five and and the start of six. So it says this, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to God, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The second thing that John wants to remind the churches is that now they belong to a different kingdom. And in ancient times, and even, even today, when a bigger kingdom will come and move in, uh, the, they will have, a lot of times, most times, they will have a, a fight, big fight. And the, the winning side will become the conquerors. The losing side will become the subjects to this winning kingdom. Um, so if, if you live under... <sighs> a kingdom or a government that is tyrannical and evil, you may want to be liberated from them. Sometimes it's a good thing that a bigger kingdom or a better kingdom will come and conquer that bad kingdom. Um, but you know, like, how is that freedom gained? You know, in the, the United States of America, in, back in, when was the revolution of the US? 1776, right? We freed ourselves from a somewhat tyrannical, kingdom. Uh, but that freedom that we wanted to explore, it, it did not come free. Freedom never comes free. Freedom always comes with a, with a, a label, uh, with a price tag, pretty much. And every time that you see freedom, something that you have to think of is that the freedom that was gained, uh, somebody paid for that. And a lot of times uh, there is bloodshed. You know, liberty always comes with, with a label and that label is stained with blood. You know, many times it comes with, uh, with the price of someone else's blood. And John is reminding the church that they have been liberated, that someone else fought a fight against the most tyrannical kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And he won that liberty that they could have never won. Uh, And he won it by the shedding of his blood. You know, Jesus Christ defeated Satan and the kingdom of darkness when he died and resurrected from the dead. And by doing this, he brought freedom for them. So those who trust in him now belong to his kingdom. In Colossians 1.13, it says this, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So what does this mean uh, for believers, that they are now part of, they're now part of the different kingdom? Uh, back in, man, I don't know how many years ago. I think I had just turned 18. 10 years ago, wow. So 10 years ago, I, I became a citizen of the United States. I had to do an application and I had to do a test and well the on the day of the test they asked me will you change your allegiance from Cuba to the United States you know like will you fight for the United States in case conflict comes out against Cuba and obviously I said <clears throat> yes it is much better to be part of the kingdom of the United States than Cuba. So yay, Uncle Sam. So it, it was a very easy decision to change from a kingdom that was tyrannical, a kingdom that was completely bad, uh, pretty much bad, to uh, the United States is not perfect, but it's much better than Cuba. I'll tell you that. So it was, it was a very easy decision for me to make. Now, um, because these people that John is writing to, they're citizens of Rome, okay They're citizens of Rome, so they're Roman citizens, uh, and they're part of a tyrannical kingdom, a, a kingdom that is not good, a kingdom that is persecuting them. And because they're following Jesus, what John is trying to remind them is that they are part of a kingdom that is much better than this earthly kingdom. Um, but this came with a prize as well. Because they are part of the kingdom of heaven, they are now acting as Jesus' kingdom. Uh, they're acting as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus, not citizens of the kingdom of Rome. Uh, their way of life was so different back in the church that everyone elses uh, that saw them they they, they were amazed by the, by the way that they live and they were against the way uh, the, the, the norms of the Roman society. Um, you know Romans will say that Caesar is Lord, but followers of Jesus will say that only Jesus is Lord. Romans had multiple gods. This was the way that they lived. But Christians will only worship God. They will only worship Jesus. Romans will participate, as as Roman citizens, part of their life was that they will participate in wild parties. But Christians will gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, You know, they became very distinct from the rest of society because they understood that they were part of the different kingdom. I, I was reading through some research. This is an article that I read about. And the obviously, the, well, not obviously, but the person who wrote this article is uh, secular, is not a believer. <clears throat> and I want to read to you to what extent these Christians were different uh, according to this secular uh, author. It says this, because, this is a quote from, from an article that was published about Christian persecution back in, in, in Rome. Look at what it says. Uh, because such antisocial and anti-Roman behavior went against Roman mores and values, as well as the religious beliefs of other people, Christians were accused of hatred of the human race. Their hostile attitude towards the gods and traditional Roman values became of great concern to Roman authorities. Rumors had also begun to circulate about strange and obnoxious Christian, Christian cult practices, some of which the Romans clearly misunderstood, while others, they did not. The point of this is that the Christians became so distinct of the Romans, the way of life was so distinct of their fellow citizens that people started to believe that they were haters because they lived in a different way, uh, because they will not do the things that society will do because they wouldn't say Caesar is God, only Jesus Christ is Lord. It, It was so different that their righteous way of life brought persecution upon them. And I wonder if one of the reasons that the church in the United States does not suffer from such persecution it is because we're not so distinct from society but that we have become so much like them. No longer and at some point, if, if you look at the news, we are starting to be called bigots and, and haters, because you know there, there are some things that have been pushed. But you know, it, it may get to that point where trying to live for Christ, trying to do the right thing, trying to say that Jesus Christ is only Lord, trying to follow what Jesus says and not what the government says may bring a persecution uh, just because of the way that you live, just because of your convictions. You know, uh, if you have decided to follow Jesus, you need to remember that you belong to a different kingdom. And you may be a citizen of the United States or Mexico or whatever country, Canada. You may be a citizen of, from whatever country you may be. But as a kingdom citizen, you and I, kingdom with a big K. You and I have been called to live different lives than those around us. You know, society should not and does not tell us how we are to live. Our friends who are non-believers should not dictate the way that we live. The government laws should not tell us how to live. Only Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, who bought our freedom with His blood, should be the one who tells us how to live. And it is only him who we should follow. It is only his voice that we should follow. Let's continue to read. Uh, But before I go to the next uh, point, I want to make sure that when we become citizens of this kingdom, We're not just becoming citizens of a mediocre kingdom. We're becoming citizens of a much better kingdom. Look what it says here at the end of verse six. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Earthly kingdoms will pass away. God's kingdom will last forever. If you follow earthly kingdoms, you will perish with that kingdom. If you follow God's kingdom, you will live forever. Let's read verses 7 and 6, uh, 7 and 8. And it says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. These verses should be a time to celebrate. And should bring a lot of joy to our lives. When Jesus first came, he did it in a very quiet way. Uh, he came humbly. In many occasions, he actually commanded people to not talk about him. He told the demons to be quiet, to not say his name, who he was. Uh, and not only that, but he says that he came full of grace and truth. The first time that Jesus came, he did it in a very ordinary way to some extent. He looked like a normal person. People didn't think much of him. They Many times they say, well, what good can come out of Nazareth? Well, this is just an ordinary man. Like they didn't believe that Jesus said who he was. And when most people think of Jesus, uh, the image that we have of him is of a Jesus who was beaten, a Jesus who 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 lived this ordinary life? Jesus, who was, you know, very poor and humble, and didn't, you know, he wasn't outstanding from society. He wasn't a king. He did not live as such. Um, At times, with we only think of these. Jesus who, who is you know poor and, and weak and, and whatnot you know the Jesus who who stink like blood when he was walking towards the cross. Um, however there is something that we must clear, clearly understand and that is that Jesus will come again but the second time he will do it in power it's going to be so much different And that is is something that that people don't understand. Later on, they describe Jesus. And look at in verse 14 in this same chapter, it says, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. First time, many didn't know Jesus was even around. On his second coming, though, it says that every eye will see him. When Jesus comes again, every eye will see him. You know, the first time he rode to Jerusalem in 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 a donkey, a symbol of peace and humbleness. But the second time that he comes, he's coming in a horse to wage war against the nations, against his enemies. The first time he came to save the sick and the lost, the second time when he comes again, he's coming to judge those who pierce him. His second coming will be so immense that all tribes on the earth will well, as as His verse says. And this coming is going to create fear to those who have rejected him. Uh, And Jesus is going to judge the kingdoms of the earth. You know, for those who are in his kingdoms, this is, for those who are not, for those who are not in in his kingdom, this sounds like doomsay. And and, and it's rightly so. It it really is like doomsay for those who are not on him. But for those who are his, this is the best day of their lives. For those who are his, this is, the day that we should be looking for, Jesus Christ's return. I'm going to read you two quotes from Billy Graham. Um, this says, The second coming of Christ will be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. Christ will reign in righteousness. Disease will be arrested. Death will be modified. War will be abolished. Nature will be changed man will live as it was originally intended. He should live. You know, the Bible teaching about the second coming of Christ was thought of as dumb say preaching, but not anymore. It is the only ray of hope that shines as an ever brightening beam in a darkness world. Why is this information relevant to us today? Uh, The church today is no less propensed to experience persecution. Uh, We are no better than our ancestors, our, our forefathers. We're no better than them. We're no better than churches in other parts of the world. And if persecution arises to a level like this. There's something that we have to remember. And that is that we have hope in a Christ who reigns over all kings, a Christ who has called us into his kingdom, and a Christ who is going to return for his people, a Christ who is going to judge the nations, who is not going to let uh, the injustices that have been brought upon his people throughout history. He's not going to let that go. He's going to rightfully judge the injustices that his people have suffered. So what do we do during this time? Um, how do we respond to this? How should we respond when, when things start to get difficult, when things start to get hard, when at school uh, or in our jobs, we start to experience some Low level of persecution. What happens when when our families reject us uh, because we decided to follow Christ? Uh, What happens when uh, we are made fun of because we are trying to follow Christ and not live in a way that our friends are trying to live? What do we do? What should we hope for? We should hope for Jesus' return. We should cry out the same thing that the church and John is crying out. Even so, come. Lord Jesus, come. And we were singing this song before. We cry out that the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and who was and who is to come, will return for those who are His. And I want to invite you church today to think about this song that we were just singing. We're going to sing it once again. We're going to, to think uh, about Jesus' return. We're going to think about this promise that Christ has given to His people. And we're going to cry out together, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. So uh, I want to pray for you tonight. Uh, after we sing this song, we're going to have communion uh, and then we're going to have some questions. But again, I just want to pray with you. If you want to stand up with me, we'll pray. And, uh, and thank God because He has promised that He will come for those who are His. Father, we thank You because uh, Your promises are true. Lord, because You have conquered death, You have conquered um, all things that are uh, bad. And and in this time of waiting, in this time when we are trying to remain faithful, uh, as you were faithful, to be a faithful witness, as you were, I ask you, Lord, that uh, when times of persecution come, when things get tough, when things get uh, hard, that, Lord, we will remember that you are king and and one day you will return Uh, injustices will not go uh, unpaid Uh, we trust Lord Jesus that you're going to bring justice to the world and uh, yeah Lord we we just want to sing tonight even so come uh as we wait for you, as your bride waits for you, um, help us, Lord, to once again to be your faithful witness. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.